I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. And we are two Shakespeare nerds who decided to make a podcast about our love for Shakespeare. In this podcast, we will tackle as many dimensions to Shakespeare's plays as we can by looking at the text, examining the historical context in which it was written, and how the text is viewed through modern lenses of feminism, racism, classism, colonialism, nationalism, ableism, all of the isms. We will discuss how his plays shaped both the past and present, and, as actors, how his plays can be responsibly performed today, all while trying our best to approach his works without giving in to bardolatry. So, Shakespeare, anyone? Hi, listeners. It's Courtney here. If you are listening to this episode after 2023, you might be wondering, who is this Corey Lee Smith host? When we started this podcast, I went by that stage name, Corey. I've chosen to leave my stage name, and as you know, I now go by Courtney. But before you enjoy past Elise and past Courtney's episodes in our back catalog, I wanted to clarify the name switch. Now that I've set that straight, I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello, listeners. This is Courtney. Elise and I are so thrilled to continue bringing episodes of Shakespeare Anyone to listeners like you for free. We do this out of our love for Shakespeare, theater making, scholarship, and decentering dead white men. We put a lot of hard work into research, recording, editing, and generally producing a podcast. With that said, I'm here to remind you all that we have a Patreon page if you want to support our current work and our future goals that we believe Patreon will help us achieve. We've created a variety of support levels and continue to create exclusive bonus content for our patrons on a monthly basis. Our bonus content so far includes Shakespeare Stuff We Loved This Month posts, where we share the Shakespeare-related products we are obsessing over. Not only that, but we already launched bonus episodes. One is an extension on our conversation with Dr. Simone Chess about John Lilly's Galatea and Early Modern Trans Studies. And the second is a conversation with special guest Stephanie from Protest Too Much Podcast, in which we review Joel Cohen's Macbeth starring Denzel Washington and Frances McDormand. Elise and I also discuss Shakespeare-adjacent content, like movies, TV shows, books, to name a few, and share those conversations exclusively to Patreon. These are incredible conversations you can unlock as a patron. We also have plans for additional bonus episodes, including more special guests, more film reviews, and even an Ask Us Anything. Distinguished patrons even receive exclusive voting power and snail mail. If you would like to join us and support the production of this podcast, or just check out the Shakespeare-themed names we've given the support levels, head to patreon.com slash shakespeareanyone. The link will also be in our episode descriptions. And if you like what you hear, Elise and I would greatly appreciate it if you could rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your review might even make it on an episode. When you're done, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and then tell a friend. Word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. Thank you for listening and all of the support you give us and the podcast. Now, onto the episode. Hi, Corey. Hi, Elise. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm also doing well. Today's a big day for us. We're wrapping up Twelfth Night. Already here. I'm a little bit sad to see it go. And now the moment uh, we're all waiting for. Let's talk about the one, the only. She's the man. She's the man. She's the Man is a 2006 American romantic comedy movie that is inspired by Twelfth Night. Uh, Before we talk about it, I'm sure many of you know the movie already. If not, this is a quick synopsis. The film centers on teenager Viola Hastings, played by Amanda Bynes, who enters her brother's new boarding school, Illyria Prep, in his place and pretends to be a boy in order to play on the boys' soccer team. And this movie was directed by Andy Fickman. Uh, The screenplay is by Karen Mikola Lutz and Kirsten Smith. 
And it stars Amanda Bynes, Channing Tatum, Laura Ramsey, Vinnie Jones, Robert Hoffman, David Cross. And this movie is, I think, one of the most fun adaptations of Twelfth Night from my research. Fun is the right word. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of liberties, but it leans very much into the comedy. And it also, unlike other um, Shakespeare-inspired movies of its time period, really is more Shakespeare forward than others of this kind of teen mm -hmm. Shakespeare romantic right. comedy. Of the like 90s, yeah. early 2000s. Not ashamed to be, as they say in their opening credits, inspired by <laughs> Shakespeare. Yeah. In addition to a very, very, very loose mm -hmm. plot adaptation, the character list uses a lot of the names from the play. So you have Viola. Orsino. Sebastian. You also have Paul Antonio. Because some of the names are very distinctly Elizabethan or like no American parent would be naming their child, you know, Orsino. Orsino is Duke Orsino. Uh, you also have like a character named Monique and her last name is Valentine. So yeah, and they are loosely inspired. I think the further away from the name you get, the further away from Shakespeare's character you really get uh, in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One though that I was very proud of was Viola has a gay hairdresser friend whose name is Paul. Yes. And throughout this whole movie, I was like watching it with another lens thinking about the play. And I was like, he's kind of Antonio-ish. He doesn't follow Sebastian, but he helps Sebastian, you know? That's one of the other major differences in this is that Viola does not dress up as a another character she's specifically impersonating her brother sebastian mm -hmm. and knows what happened to her brother sebastian this entire time correct so paul antonio like you said is helping viola in this movie but viola impersonating sebastian versus a eunuch cesario who is a servant yeah and the hairdresser paul specifically helps with that transformation and is Viola's acting coach, in a way. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, fulfills that question of, is Antonio gay? Exactly. Yeah. We also have a character named Malcolm Festes, mm -hmm. who is a RA. He is <laughs> the the dorm monitor. Very rules-obsessed. Totally <laughs> an arc. Follows Olivia around. <laughs> and then he has a pet tarantula that he talks to named Malvolio. So he's very much Malvolio. <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote my notes. This is unfair Festy treatment, though. I know. It's my, maybe my major critique of this movie is that we have some, like, pure Festy slander because there's no other real reference to our musical movie. clown. It is just made into this Malvolio character's last name. And I'm like, this, I wrote in all caps, unfair Festy mm -hmm. treatment. I don't necessarily mind them combining characters, but combining Malvolio and Festy... They're at odds, like, the entire time. And we just have nothing of Festy's character in this combined character. It's probably the loosest, where we have these other, like, characters who their last names turn into these references. For example, in comparison to Paul Antonio, who is just a different take on the idea of Antonio, Malcolm Festy's just feels like, you didn't know what to do with Festy as a character, and so you just turned him into a last name. They should have <laughs> just left him out of it. I mean, made him like some sort of reference to something like at the carnival. Yeah. Oh, to go back just a little bit. So Illyria in this movie is a boarding school. So when Viola impersonating Sebastian arrives to Illyria, there is this blink and you'll miss it reference or Easter egg where the drama club of Illyria Academy is producing what you will as a play. I saw that. You know, it mm -hmm. could have been something like that where we see like, the drama club president is Festy. Festy, yeah. Or mm -hmm. something like that. Like, we don't yeah. really see or is referenced or something like that. But it at like least that. makes sense with the character of Festy, because that's blasphemous. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about, like, the setup yeah. of this, in case anyone hasn't seen this. So here's basically the entire concept. This movie starts with Amanda Bynes playing soccer on a beach in a bikini top and denim shorts, which just made me ask, is bikini soccer a thing? It sounds painful, to sounds be quite honest. very painful. Sounds yeah. very not ideal. Did you play soccer? I never played soccer as a kid, except for in PE. Okay. I was not an athletically gifted child, okay. Corey. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell by the everything about me. 
(laughs) Did you play soccer? I did. I thought I was an athlete for a really long time. Um, So I spent like a chunk of years in late elementary school and middle school, very much like Ash from the Fantastic Mr. Fox, where it's like, I think that you guys don't see me as an athlete. Like, that's how I identified. I thought I was an athlete, but um, I wasn't an athlete. But I did play soccer long enough to realize that if you're playing soccer in a bikini, I didn't do this personally, but I imagine with no shirt, no protection, that would hurt. That yeah, would hurt. It seems dangerous, but Viola's having a good time. Everything seems great. And she's really good at it. And she's really good. And then we see her at her school, Cornwall Academy. And kind of the first major plot point is that the women's soccer team is cut. And mm-hmm. they find this out when the entire team is showing up for their first practice. And the men's lacrosse team is on their practice field. And Viola asks, well, can I try out for the boys team? And the coach says no, because... One, their first game is against the school rival, Illyria. Illyria. Uh-huh. He also says, girls aren't as fast as boys or as strong or as athletic. Girls can't beat boys. To which Viola is very upset. Mm-hmm. Also, just want to say, this is seems to be set in America. So this entire film is just all based around a Title IX violation. At a time as well when women's soccer was actually quite popular. Back then and today... The U.S. women's national team is one of the best teams. Has four wins compared to the men's zero. Yeah. The two top scorers in soccer of all time, both women. Anyway. Yeah. Well, and the thing about this moment that also really riles Viola up is that when she's playing Mm -hmm. bikini beach soccer, her boyfriend, Justin, tells her that she's better than like half of the guys on his soccer team. And then when Viola is looking for confirmation from somebody like, this is unfair, this is sexist, you know, I can play. Like, she turns to her boyfriend and says, like, you said that I was better than half the guys on the team. And then he denies it. And then he starts laughing. He gaslights her and she dumps him on the spot. She does. She has no time for that. Mm -hmm. And then we get to see her on her way home after this very frustrating day. She's mistaken from behind for her brother Sebastian. So we get the setup of like, they are very similar builds, mm-hmm. can easily be mistaken for each other, even when she has long hair. She's slouched. She's in male presenting clothing, I suppose. Yeah. And we are introduced to Monique mm-hmm. Valentine, this, for lack of a better word, and it's like, keep it Shakespeare, this kind of shrew of a girlfriend who's just nagging. Yeah, just awful. Like, she's very much presented as this kind of anti-Viola, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but hypersexualized, very... Very feminine. Girly. Yeah. And very, like, early 2000s teen queen feminine. So think you're, like, Paris Hilton. She'd be wearing the, like, juicy sweatpants, um, mm-hmm. having the, like, Tiffany... Like the tube tops with her, like, mm-hmm. belly showing and, like, a massive chunky belt. Yes. <laughs> Tiny, Um, tiny purse. Tiny, tiny purse that carries nothing, (laughs) uh, except perhaps tampons for your nosebleeds, which we'll get to later. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) It's very much clearly set up that Viola does not like Monique. Monique does not like her. Monique does not like her. The additional plot point of the debutante ball is introduced. Um, So basically, Viola's mom wants her to be a debutante in the junior league Mm -hmm. and participate in this hyper-feminine activity. Yeah, I think it's like the Stratford Junior League or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So between this and Monique, we get a very, like, she's not like other girls trope with Viola. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also interesting to note that her mother's house, because in this Viola and Sebastian's parents are divorced, the Mm -hmm. mother's house is is also like a very feminine space, like hyper feminine. There's flowers. Everything is just like so yeah. perfect and clean. Yeah. Uh, Leave it to Beaver, like June Cleaver, but in 2006 in a lot of ways. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. um, exactly where I was going. This is like she harkens back to this era of June Cleaver or Donna Reed in terms of femininity that is very at odds with this early mm-hmm. 2000s feminism this girl power sort of feminism that Viola embodies. Yeah. So then we meet Sebastian. Sebastian is a bit of a bad boy. He's like a punk rocker bad boy. He's a punk rocker bad boy who's very close to his twin sister. Yeah, because Viola goes to his bedroom to 
talk to him and uh, he's packing his bag. Because he's, he's going yeah. to go to London because his band has an opportunity to perform. Mm-hmm. And so he asks Viola to just lie for him to help cover the two weeks he won't be at his new school, Illyria, which he has to transfer to because he got kicked out of Cornwall for skipping class. Right. As he jumps out the window, uh, she gets the idea to go to Illyria in his place in order to try out for their men's soccer team and beat the Cornwall boys team since she couldn't join Mm -hmm. that team. And prove that girls can play soccer just as well as boys can. Or better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then she goes to Paul Antonio with two of her soccer friends and asks him to help her turn into her brother. And we get this makeover montage. Yes. With a lot of fake mustaches, even though Sebastian does does not wear one. one. But, you know, if you were going to do a montage, you got to add mustaches. Yeah, we got to have a makeover montage. It's the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And then we also get Amanda Bynes walking behind adult men and trying to mimic their walk. And some bad binding tips. Don't use ace bandages, kids. Good note. Which actually can create really bad injuries. Yeah, we get that in there. And it's, I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. There are places that you can get binders for cheap or free. Google it, folks. Don't use yeah. She's the Man as a foundation for cross-dressing. Or just if you need to bind your chest, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. She also agrees to do this debutante thing, and then she arrives to Illyria as Sebastian. We see her walk through the campus, feeling very self-conscious, trying to like psych herself up. Mm-hmm. And then we finally arrive at the gratuitously shirtless Channing Tatum <laughs> mm-hmm. in their dorm room. In their, yeah, they are roommates. So in this version, Viola Sebastian and Duke Orsino are roommates. That's how they're mm-hmm. paired up. He has two friends who are also on the soccer team named Andrew and Toby, which I thought was yep. a nice little sprinkling yeah, of... of the characters from the play. Yeah, we obviously don't do as much with any other Twelfth Night plots other than the Viola Orsino, Orsino and Olivia one. plot. Mm-hmm. And they are very confused by this Sebastian that they're encountering because he seems very mm-hmm. young to them. So Viola has to lie and say, oh, well, I skipped a couple grades. She also accidentally unpacks a package of tampons, which is where we get, I think, one of the more famous the scenes famous. of this movie, which is uh-huh. these boys, you know, be like, why do you have those? And she improvises and says, oh, they're for nosebleeds. Here's here's what I do with them. Uh-huh. I get really bad nosebleeds. Yep. And you take it out of the wrapper, get rid of whatever this is, and you stick it right up. Stick it mm-hmm. up works or, like a yeah. charm. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just kind of laugh it off like, okay, this guy's just a weirdo. We go to soccer tryouts. We get Vinnie Jones as coach Mm -hmm. who gives this very odd monologue about how everybody gets a chance at Illyria. They do not discriminate. Uh, So he's not going to just cut anybody because they don't seem athletic. Mm -hmm. You know, so just everybody gets to try and out. And at the same time, the movie includes this, like, fat phobic joke about this poor guy that's, you know, yeah. not athletically built. That joke wouldn't do in 2021. No. Viola seems to do decently at tryouts. Mm-hmm. And she gets second string. And then it's time to hit the showers, which that's a complication. And she avoids it because <laughs> the principal, David Cross, calls her into his office Yes, David Cross as headmaster Horatio Gold. Horatio being another just great Shakespeare reference. Shakespeare name mm-hmm. reference. We also get some decent mm-hmm. physical comedy where Viola thinks it's safe to remove her binding for a she second. She thinks she's caught. She thinks that the jig is up. She tries to sneak a peek at Sebastian's file and the loose binding gets caught in the file cabinet and she thinks she's caught and there's some nice comedic comedic tension. Yeah. As this completely oblivious principal, Horatio Gold. Keeps trying to open up the jammed... Drawer. Yes. Oh, but we also can't forget to talk about one of the best moments in that scene when he goes, Welcome, 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 welcome to Valyria. <laughs> I just had to bring yeah. that up. Again, it's like one of those like 90s, early 2000s tropes in these teen movies of the authority figure in the school who just really... Shouldn't be an authority. I know. Yeah. But Headmaster Gold does seem to really care about 
Viola and, well, Sebastian, and yes. how Sebastian is acclimating to the school. So it's at least nice that this is a warm, inviting it, environment for Sebastian. I will say it is a good contrast to the other, like, adult male figures. So we have this Horatio Gold who's just not <laughs> traditionally masculine at all. No. And we see more of that later on in the movie. It sets up this, like, Illyria is not like Cornwall, whereas Cornwall was very blatantly sexist mm-hmm. from, you know, our experience with Robert Torty as the soccer Cornwall coach soccer at coach. Cornwall. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Vinnie Jones as Coach Dinklage at Illyria, who seems hyper-masculine, but then is saying Sometimes things surprisingly that, not. But that then seem also, maybe not, yeah. but then you're not really sure. And then you get Horatio Gold, who is sensitive and... Like an empathetic male figure. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we haven't even met Viola's dad. Father. Yeah. So, again, a missing father. We have a missing father still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to go back to our tropes episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to go back. There's one thing that I noticed. I don't know if I'm reading into it, but Horatio Gold has a lot of ships. A lot of ships decorating the That's walls. That's exactly of what I was his... just going to say. Was it? I think Horatio Gold is the captain. Uh-huh. I think so. And I think that that's a reference to the tempest, the storm that we don't see, because why would there be a shipwreck in this teen movie? But I think that that's a like nod to the text of Twelfth Night. And I think that the name Horatio is a very dual reference to obviously Shakespeare's Horatio. But then Mm -hmm. there's also this literary character of Horatio Hornblower, who is a fictional Royal Navy officer in the novels and stories by C.S. Forrester. So I think the name Horatio is also, like, meant to evoke something to do with ships. Yeah. And now that you say that, too, the captain is the one that was like, oh, I'll help you. And I mean, Horatio Gold, the headmaster, doesn't help in the same way. But the captain provides, we're here at Illyria. This is what's going on. Like, this protective navigational figure for Viola. And I guess the headmaster could be seen in that same light, in that same comparison to the captain of a ship who helps out the text versions, Viola. Yes. I'm so glad you were also like, wait, before we move off of Horatio Gold, I also want to talk (laughs) about this. Yes. Next, we will meet Olivia, who Viola runs into, literally. Yes. For a moment, Viola drops the Sebastian veneer. Yeah, let's talk about that right in. So they run into each other, and in typical 90s, early 2000s, the books fall, and they both bend down. It's a cute. Yeah, one of those standard romance tropes from those teen movies so Mm -hmm. we get the moment where sebastian viola is not like other men for olivia because viola kind of just momentarily lapses in her conceit of sebastian to compliment olivia's shoes right there's just very genuine of like oh those are cute shoes where'd you get them oh anthropology get them? they have a shoe section i didn't know that yeah and mm-hmm. you know anthropology being again like a very femme store right so olivia gets this like oh this person is different mm-hmm. the movie does steer away from homoerotic readings of olivia viola and viola orsino whenever the characters get too close to mm-hmm. each other either physically or emotionally, there's some sort of slapstick comedy that interrupts and diffuses any sexual tension. Viola then goes and sits with the guys and learns that Duke also has a crush on Olivia. Mm -hmm. But then there's this guy, Malcolm, who's also all over Olivia. And Duke is the Illyria soccer player who made Viola's Viola's ex, ex Justin, cry cry Uh in a game. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a really cool scene, but still problematic scene where I think that the screenwriters do a nice job of navigating the complexities of characters being masculine and feminine, because this is a scene where in order to appease the male counterparts, Viola as Sebastian. uh, Uh, Yeah, I know exactly what you say. Anytime that Viola as Sebastian tries to comment on another woman, it's in a very sexist, misogynistic misogynist Way. coding so it's always like oh yeah look at the, the booty on that blonde yeah like, it's always about yeah, their body yeah it is like an inversion of what shakespeare has uh-huh. uh viola as cesario do whereas shakespeare's olivia you know shows us that she's only been wooed by this cataloging of her body parts right. and viola counters that 
in She's the Man, we have Viola trying to fit in with the guys. other men, mm-hmm. with the guys, by cataloging body parts mm-hmm. on another woman. Yeah. yeah. And in this particular scene, Duke Orsino counters that sexist approach. He only does it, I think, because he has a crush on Olivia. So I don't think it's from a feminist like, hey, don't talk about women that way. I think it's because he mm-hmm. personally likes Olivia. So he doesn't want yeah. to. I think, yeah, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I think it is addressed. They do have a scene addressing it later mm-hmm. in this kind of like inversion of Orsino's monologue in Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. Right. This is like laying the foundation of this difference between the movie She's the Man and the play Twelfth Night. We meet Malcolm Festy mm-hmm. in the bathroom, and it's just like, he's... Total square. Really square, really uptight. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of watches all the other students for the rules as he understands them. Right, right. Did you not read your dorm life pamphlet, he says. <laughs> uh, we then get a nightmare sequence, because why not? Mm-hmm. Where Viola has to play soccer in a terrifying game, wearing a debutante gown, and she just completely trips, falls in front of her ex. And she's woken up with a splash of water for some light hazing by the rest of the soccer team. Cool. They're told to strip. That, of course, makes her go, I cannot do that. It will reveal my secret. Yes. She is able to slip off Duck and pull the down, fire alarm. crawl around and find the fire alarm and pull it. Yeah. She then tries to quit. She's like, I'm actually weighing over my head. Like, mm-hmm. they don't think I'm They cool. all know that I'm, yeah. They think, think I'm a weirdo. And Paul Antonio says, oh, no, no, we have a plan to make you cool. In a similar way to Shakespeare's Antonio, here to help the hero. We go to a pizza parlor, which it's is named called Cesario's Pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Viola Sebastian comes out of a bathroom and the guys of the Illyria soccer team just want to Ignore him. Try to be like, look like there's not a seat available. We don't want him sitting next to us. Yeah. So at this point, the guys that he's trying to impress want nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. And Paul stage manages this setup where he has their friends pretend to be hot girls who are really into Sebastian. Yeah, Kia and Yvonne. And then Monique arrives, real Sebastian's girlfriend. Uh Uh-huh. Almost blows the whole thing. There's, you know, the sequence where Viola's evading her. Ducking behind stacks of pizza boxes, running around, generally like throwing her her hands in front of her face. And then as Sebastian breaks up with Monique. And this wins Sebastian a whole bunch of cool points. Mm-hmm. In the eyes of his peers. Specifically Duke, Toby, and Andrew. Mm-hmm. We then go to science class <laughs> where uh, we get lab partner where our, you know, our characters teenage... get divided up into science partners, science lab project partners. Sebastian Viola gets paired up with Olivia and Duke gets paired up with this character, Eunice, <laughs> who's just kind a of queen. a big nerd. <laughs> yeah. And Malcolm looks on creepily. Trying to enforce the rules of science lab. (laughs) Again, one of my favorite characters, Mavolia Malcolm. I mean. This causes Duke to make a deal with Viola. Sebastian, he will help Sebastian with his soccer game if Sebastian can help him get with Olivia. Correct. And then it's time for another montage. A soccer montage. And science class. Mm Mm-hmm. I also think that it's interesting that, again, like the Trevor Nunn 1996 movie and the production of Twelfth Night that I watch, we have a bonding of the Duke Orsino character and the Viola Cesario character over training for a physical activity. Mm. I think that's just one of the easiest ways to force people together. I feel like it's also very limiting for these masculine... Like, Bonds. it's a very limited understanding of masculine bonding. Mm-hmm. It that says, this is like, so this common. Is, it kind of says, this is the only this way is that how men, men bond. friends. Right. And men can express care. It's like that or video games. Which, again, is like, oh, and only I, if we are put in a team can we fully hang out and to each yeah. other. And I think that's some patriarchal. Yeah. My version, the Globe version, Viola Cesario was given a sword 
she was charged with putting it in the sheath, but because Viola didn't know how to do it and dropped it, and Sorcino came and like did it for her and showed her how to do it. Oh, that's that's very sexual. Yeah. yeah. So that's <laughs> okay. the version that I saw. But I guess it's still surrounded by the idea of an activity that's masculine. Male, male masculine. masculine. And again, like with swords being penises, yes. sheaths being vaginas, it's still this very patriarchal idea of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, a woman and that gender yeah. binary. So so maybe the next adaptation, someone can think outside the box and come up with something else for these two characters, Cesario and Orsino to bond over. Maybe. I agree. Moving on to Malvolio or <laughs> Malcolm. Malcolm. Well, we do get to meet Malvolio, the tarantula. Yes. We see just how obsessed with Olivia the character oh, of Malcolm yes. is. Posters of her on his wall. Olivia Oh, an Olivia pillow. pillow. Yeah. Creepy stalker vibes coming Absolutely. off of Malcolm. Yeah. He makes it clear he wants to get in between Sebastian Viola and Olivia. Correct. Then we finally see a conversation between Sebastian Viola and Olivia where she makes it clear that she is into him. And he says, no, 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 you should go out with Duke because, Olivia, you are not my type. The bear baiting scene. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also get a scene between Duke and Sebastian Viola where Duke reveals he is not good at asking girls out. And Viola Sebastian pretends to be a girl so that Duke can practice asking a girl out. Very as you like it. Very as you like it. Very Rosalind as Ganymede as Rosalind in As You Like It. Yeah. And I thought that that was a nice touch that, like, one thing I will say about this movie versus the play Twelfth Night is I think that this movie does a nice job for me of building how these two characters actually bond. They mm-hmm. gave a lot of nice moments. So I think that adding the As You Like It, Rosalind, Ganymede, Orlando helped to, like, cement how they actually do bond very successfully before the reveal. Right. And this is where the famous, do you, you like, like Gouda? Yeah, do you like cheese? My favorite's Gouda. Yeah. This is interrupted. Malvolio the tarantula is loose and they see them and like scream and get like very physically close to each other. Again, a moment of any sort of chance at homoeroticism is covered with slapstick comedy. Right. And kind of like, oh, get away from me. Yeah, don't you ever do that voice again. That creeped me out. Yeah, that was confusing. Drawing Mm -hmm. a divide between heterosexuality and homosexuality. We're just friends. Right. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So the debutante plotline comes back with these, like, family obligations in this carnival that Viola and Sebastian's mom... (laughs) Signed both of them up for. Their mom... They both had tasks. so, like, (laughs) Sebastian has to be... At the cotton candy booth. Cotton candy booth. And Viola, with all the other debutantes, is apparently part has of a shift at a kissing, kissing booth. booth. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's just this extended carnival scene where Viola has to switch back and forth between girl mode and her Sebastian disguise. Right. And Monique is running around and she's trying to avoid Monique. Monique and her mom. And her mom. And Justin's there. And Orsino's there. You know, this all comes to a climax when Olivia is apparently also a debutante and mm-hmm. is working in the kissing booth and Duke gets in line to be able to kiss Finally her. kiss her. And then Viola, as herself, arrives early for her shift right before Duke's turn. And they have a pretty great kiss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then Justin... Viola's ex arrives, and Duke realizes that Viola is Sebastian's sister. Mm-hmm. Justin and Duke get into a knockdown dragout fight. Yep. Knocking over the popcorn, really like. Ruining the carnival. Yes. 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 Just a lot of like room for mistaken identity and mm-hmm. confusion. It's very like super topsy turvy. I think it was a nice way of, like, adding in the carnival aspect of the Twelfth Night Holiday. Mm-hmm. Yes, a very yeah. subtle way to do yeah. that. Viola, as Sebastian gets back to Illyria, and Duke has a tampon in his nose because <laughs> his nose was bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, so that comes right back in. And he reveals that he has a crush on Viola. 
which Viola as Sebastian finds quite interesting. Is also very supportive of. Yeah. Kiss her, man. Just kiss her, kiss her, and kiss her more. And this is where Duke calls out Viola as Sebastian for always talking about girls in just physical terms, you know, degrading misogynistic way. Right. This Duke, unlike Shakespeare's Orsino, is sensitive and deep and understands mm-hmm. that there's more to girls than just their bodies. Came a long way 400 years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we kind of talked a little bit about this, but I do think that that's really cool that in Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, Viola is on the opposite end saying like, no, you don't understand women. There's more to them. And I think it's a very like, it, it's a way to redeem Orsino by making Viola yeah. as Sebastian portraying those ideals that the play Orsino holds in his heart about women. Mm-hmm. The new Orsino gets to correct the old Orsino in some ways through this adaptation. Yeah, it is. And it's also a great just reading of like, you've misjudged. We're not all, not, not to be like, all, not but all men. I, know, I, don't want to I know what you mean, without like, being, uh, yeah. Yeah. Without being not all men, mm-hmm. it's being, you know, that's actually right. not okay. I think your yeah. point's better though. <laughs> well, I mean, you are right though in that sense that Viola created this caricature of masculinity from her learned experience or how men are represented. And so to have Viola portraying Mm -hmm. this 2006 version of how we present masculinity in men and having Orsino counter that collective consciousness of masculinity is very cool. And again, her characterization is built on coming from Cornwall, coming from her house, which is literally divided into a very feminine mm-hmm. sphere. And then we don't know what her dad's house is like, but he's apparently a dad who is not going to notice if his kids are not talking to him for two Correct, weeks. Correct, they're know? not in school so, for two weeks. Apparently, there's enough of a disconnect that neither of their parents notices what's going on with their kids mm-hmm. for two weeks. Yep. I think that's a really good point of, you know, her learned experience has informed her that men are like her ex, Justin. They're like her old mm-hmm. soccer coach. Uh, they see women a certain way, and she is working off of that. And then in Illyria, not only with Principal Gold, but now we see that Duke does not see women mm-hmm. that way. We've also kind of gotten glimpses that Coach Dinklage... Does not. You know, for all of his faults. While he may, you know, say, don't be little pansies and things like that, we will learn that it's not necessarily coming from a place of sexism. Right. It's coming. It's it's still a problem, yeah. but it's not from that thing that is emulated out of Cornwall. Correct. That was just a very deep reading of Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if this, play- this movie was intentionally you that deep, what? but here we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we move into another training montage, and then we learn that Duke wants to take Viola, the girl, to dinner at Cesario's. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Olivia plans to make Sebastian right. jealous, and the way she'll do this is by flirting right. with Duke. And she plots this with a friend who we do not know his name, Mariah, but in the credits, her best friend is Mariah. This, in turn, distracts Duke from calling Viola and asking her out. So then Viola Sebastian calls Duke as herself, but Duke ignores it for Olivia. Mm-hmm. The action of the play is uh, heightened as real Sebastian calls Monique as he is in the airport on his way home from London and tells he's her been in he's been in and London for two weeks and we have to talk. He's mm-hmm. going to break up with her. Which, in her experience, he has not been in London for and two weeks. And he has already broken up with her. Multiple times. Then we have the Duke, Olivia, Viola Sebastian, and Eunice, Eunice date. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Poor Eunice gets just caught in there as the triangle is turned into a quadrangle. Mm-hmm. And they're all trying to make each other jealous. jealous. Uh huh. I don't think that Orsino and Olivia actually talk to each other until the last scene in the play. Yeah, yeah. They never talk. That's it's very always true. it's always a messenger. And in this version, neither of them knows how to talk to each other. Like it's so awkward watching them sitting in the booth. Olivia mm-hmm. goes so far as to lie and be like, "I was just telling Duke how," and he's like, "You weren't saying anything." And she's like, "I was about to." It's a nice, like, yeah. really obvious, neither of them really actually get along in the sense that, like, you know. 
it's purely a physical attraction. Mm -hmm. It's just a crush and there's nothing beyond that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So then we get debutante time and all of the debutantes are having this like luncheon. Uh, Viola arrives late. She's not as ladylike as the rest of them. She like throws the door open, like adjusts her dress, clomps on in. Again, clomp, clomp, clomp. not like other girls mm-hmm. trope. We get the great Viola chew like you have a secret <laughs> moment. Yeah. Um, as Yeah, because this is when Viola is uh, scowling at the perfect Olivia across the way, who's being quite ladylike. The definition of a debutante. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Monique is also a debutante. Olivia goes to the bathroom and Viola follows. Mm-hmm. And in the bathroom... Viola learns that Olivia actually likes Sebastian <laughs> and is just using Duke to make Sebastian jealous. And we get a like internalized I am the man yes. moment. Viola encourages Olivia to be honest. And Olivia agrees that the next time she sees Sebastian, she will admit everything and kiss him. Then Monique appears overhearing that. Just hanging out in the stall. Just hanging out in the stall. Pooping. <laughs> like a lady. <laughs> Quite ladylike. <laughs> she didn't wash her hands, did she? No. Uh, she's gross. <laughs> and there's a full-on fight that can be heard out in the dining room by the head of the debutante program. Yeah. And they yeah. get in trouble. It's such a great physical fight. It's just the comedy of the fight. The choreography of the fight is great. Yes. Like, nice job to whoever choreographed it because it was a nice play on cat fights and i don't want to be sexist and call them real fights but you know what i mean like the stereotypical it's actually a truly physical fight instead of a stereotypical cat fight they are improvising weapons with their heels it's a very like this is how Mm -hmm. women and girls would actually fight instead of a stereotyped like tiny arms slapping yeah yeah or slapping or scratching. It's yeah. like, no, they're hitting, they're punching, they're pulling hair. They're like banging each other up against the wall. They're grabbing their heels to hit each other with. It is some great fight choreography. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, back at Illyria, we see that Malcolm is trying to convince Dean Gold that something is up with Viola Sebastian. He doesn't know what, but like... He's a sneaking suspicion. He's got the suspicion. And... Monique hears the message that real Sebastian left for her, and we can see her realizing that something is afoot. Yes. Meanwhile, real Sebastian arrives at Illyria. Olivia runs up and kisses him and quotes his lyrics. Duke sees this and believes that it is the Sebastian he knows kissing Olivia. His roommate, his soccer teammate, his friend. Yeah. So now he is upset because he thinks that Viola Sebastian kissed Olivia, but Viola thinks he knows about her mm-hmm. secret, and they fight. Yeah. Malcolm is doing some research and realizes that there are Hastings twins, and his wheels start turning about what is going actually on. going on mm-hmm. here. And right before Monique gets here, Duke pushes Viola Sebastian out of the dorm. So he has right. to find another place Kicks. to sleep. He is kicked out for his betrayal. Yes. So Viola Sebastian is roaming Illyria, the, the Roman campus, roaming Illyria, looking for a place to spend the night. Monique arrives at Illyria and is yelling for Sebastian, goes to Duke and Sebastian's room. Duke says he's not here yeah. and shuts the door in her face. Malcolm hears Monique and is like, so tell me what you know, and we get this kind of unholy alliance between the two right. of them. They kind of then turn into, in a way, the plotting Toby, Andrew, and Fabian, and Mariah in some ways. Like, it's not the same plot, but they're conniving together. They, they are plotting, yeah, plotting against our heroes, right. yeah. Then Olivia finds a place to stay in the form of Eunice. <laughs> I love her. She is the Who has moment. never had a roommate. No, she hasn't. My favorite. She's moonwalking and just casually slides on down on the bench next to uh, next to Viola Sebastian. She <laughs> has moves. She does. She has moves. She does. She is the moment. <laughs> then uh, real Sebastian arrives in his room late at night after Duke is asleep and is just like, oh, great. Like, my roommate already, like, put all my stuff away. No, oh, uh, Viola did that for uh, me. Oh, yeah. He says, thank you, Vi, because 
She put everything away for him like a good sister. Yeah. And he just goes to sleep. The next day, Monique and Malcolm have gone to Dean Gold to tell him what they believe is going on. It is the day of the big soccer game between Illyria and Cornwall. The soccer teammates think that real Sebastian is Viola Sebastian, and they are like, you gotta get up. Get him out of bed. And, you know, you gotta get to the soccer field, and he's just like, okay, and then- And I think that he is okay with that, because I think that Olivia says that she'll see him at the soccer game, so this is a moment where he's like, oh, I can see the girl at the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Viola Sebastian wakes up late, too, because Eunice just didn't would rather watch him sleep. She is the moment, but she's also a bit of a creep. But she's also a bit of a creep, yeah. <laughs> when I first watched this and didn't quite catch on, I was like, there's a little bit of, like, Malvolio in her as well. Mm-hmm. She's kind of an amalgamation of a few different characters. Mm-hmm. Then Principal Gold has apparently called both parents to the soccer game. And they finally talk and realize that Viola hasn't been living with either of them. And Sebastian's supposed to be here at school this whole time. Right. So. So. uh... Real Sebastian is suited up for the game. People see him and go, Sebastian, you got to come over here. Like, put this on. Yeah, do a face paint. Let's do your face paint. And Viola realizes it when she arrives at the locker room and her soccer kit is not in her locker. Right. Everything she's worked for is about to come crashing down. Yep. Principal Gold, Monique, and Malcolm stop the game to confront Sebastian and say... Also, Sebastian's a terrible soccer player. Yes. When Malcolm discovered that there were twins, the article is like, the Hastings twins could not be more different. Mm -hmm. Something like that. One's an athlete, one's a musician. Sebastian cannot play soccer. It's It's laughable. Yeah. So the game is stopped. He is accused of being a girl. And he takes off his pants to prove right. that he is actually right. male. Reducing everything to genitals. Genitals. Yeah. Yep. Then uh, Malcolm is in trouble. There's some really inappropriate high school cheerleaders that are like... Very provocatively dressed. Yeah, that really feels unnecessary as we are reaching the... The conclusion. End of yeah. this movie. At halftime, Viola pulls real Sebastian under the bench, and they figure out what happened with Olivia and Duke, and they swap clothes. Mm -hmm. Viola, as in her Sebastian disguise, convinces Coach to put her back in the game. Duke is playing and completely ignoring the Sebastian on the field, which is now Viola. And this has repercussions because his... Cornwall scores. Yeah. Cornwall scores because he wouldn't pass. Mm -hmm. Then there's a fight... On the field, it's Justin and Duke, but it starts with Viola Sebastian telling Duke, like, you have to pass to me. Like, you have to be my teammate. I'll explain everything later. I'll explain everything later. And so they're getting into a fight. And then Justin is like, hey, are you going to, like, play or are you going to fight amongst yourselves? And Mm -hmm. then that becomes a bigger fight. It gets broken up by Coach Dinklage. Then, as this tension between Viola Sebastian and Duke continues... She reveals that she is Viola, and to prove it, shows off her her boobs. boobs. Mm -hmm. Again, reducing gender to sexual characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. However, Coach Dinklage has no problem with this and tears up the league rules and says that Illyria doesn't discriminate based on gender. Based on gender. Calling back to the Cornwall coach. Cornwall's discrimination and also his speech at tryouts about at Illyria, we don't discriminate here. Mm-hmm. Question, though, if they don't discriminate, why would they not have other why, women or f- female identifying players? Why hasn't this team already been degendered? Right. Surely there must have been a, yeah, a female soccer player or a female identifying soccer player who has wanted to play on that Or team why before. don't they have an equal team Co-ed. for women? Or just a women's team, right? Or like, that too. So that it is equal under Title IX. Again, right. this is some sort of world where Title IX apparently doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Yeah. And if it did, we wouldn't have this movie. <laughs> also, apparently, Coach Dinklage quotes the Some Are Born Great section no, of Duke the- No, Duke does that. He does it, but he says, as Coach says I before see. every practice. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yes. So we get the quote from the, the letter. letter- 
Some are born uh, great. Malvolio yeah. reads, some are born great, some achieve greatness, some, some have greatness, greatness thrust, thrust upon, them. upon them. Which is funny because this movie is then taking the joke of the quote from the letter because it's supposed to rev up Malvolio in the play. Yeah. And it's a nonsense quote to get him thinking like, that's right, I'm important and give him some self-importance and self-love. And it's taken that like repackaging of this quote into a legitimately, sincerely motivational speech. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is apparently, according to Duke, said by the coach before every practice. Because <laughs> William Shakespeare didn't exist and didn't say it. And then they play ball. There's, you know, some unrealistic action hair because apparently Viola can play with soccer her hair at down. the level she plays it with her hair down, flowing in the breeze. I don't understand that No at hair all. ties. Yeah. Mm-mm. She gets fouled and a penalty kick will decide the game. It gets fielded. But Duke heads it, and Viola bicycle kicks it into the goal. I think that that's that move that she, that Viola and Sebastian have been practicing. So I think that they foreshadow this move, but yes, a big move for yeah. It is like this, like they've been training to do this, and they they do it. And in it's a game. only been two weeks. <laughs> like she was a good soccer player before, but like not good enough to make first string on this team. And within two weeks, they can do this really yeah. technically incredible. Yeah. Minor details. She worked real hard. And then the parents are fine with what Viola did, but they're a little bit mad about Sebastian leaving for London. London. Toby admits that he likes Eunice, which is something that he, you know, said that people made fun of him Mm -hmm. for earlier on. So she also kind of gets a little bit of the Mariah storyline. Viola introduced real Sebastian to Olivia. Duke is still upset with Mm -hmm. Viola. Real Sebastian delivers a gift to Duke. Yeah. It is a wheel of Gouda and an invite to the debutante ball. Mm -hmm. At the debutante ball, we see that Olivia and Viola are just besties now. Mm -hmm. And Paul is there and offers to be Viola's escort if Duke doesn't show. She goes outside to think, and it's very foggy. And she thinks she sees him. Starts talking to him. I didn't think you'd show. But it's the gardener. And he's like, I got to turn off sprinklers. (laughs) You got to go. Which I, I was like, this is that's a great guy. It is. Duke does arrive. Mm-hmm. They have an apology moment. They don't kiss no, here. But he just asks that she stay a girl. They liked getting to know each other through this third person, Sebastian. But for their relationship, it's best that uh, Viola stay a girl. Again, we got to keep it cis and hetero right. here. It's very sentimental, very sweet, but still very hetero. Yeah. Then we can go back to the debutante ball. We see Monique... Her last name is Valentine. Mm-hmm. That's like the first time that I mm-hmm. clocked it. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, that's mm-hmm. who this is. Paul is sitting at a table with... Andrew. Andrew. It's coded that perhaps they are together mm-hmm. now. Which is nice that this movie is showing nice. this is an acceptable relationship. They don't choose to explore that with the appropriately coupled... I Air quotes. The appropriately coupled couples throughout this movie but they do have a little Mm -hmm. thing that's like that's totally fine and the gays can have a little as As a a treat treat. yeah it's i mean it's really just peanuts we can have some stereotypical gay representation as as a a treat treat. yeah because i think then andrew's like clapping ecstatically in this very like hands up clapping smiling and you know unlike his his presentation before we knew that he might be a gay man yeah Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Paul is a secondary character, and Andrew, I would say, is like a tertiary character. Like, he really doesn't do a lot, and then it's like, oh, well, they're the only gays in this world, so... Naturally. Naturally, they must... End up together. End Mm -hmm. up together. Yeah. We get the kiss between Duke and Viola. Viola is still very much not like other girls, and that, like, her debutante dress is this very, like, sleek satin dress. That's green compared to everyone else's white dresses. So she's going to do this her way, her own way. Um, But we do get to see her back in her women's weeds. Right. We get a slight little epilogue. Both the Hastings twins are now at Illyria Mm -hmm. and happy. And Duke and Viola are together playing on the same soccer team. and And her hair is still down. She's still playing soccer with no ponytail. And no, like... No headbands to keep, you know, her hair out of her eyes. No. No, nothing. So, yeah, that is Mm -hmm. She's the Man. 
you know, I read this article by Elle Monique Pittman called Dressing the Boy Playing the Girl, 12th Night Learned Soccer on the Set of She's the Man. I read that one too, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. You know, it does say, like, at first glance, it does seem to intensify this idea of gender as a system of interchangeable and arbitrary social constructs, but it kind of reverts to a more conservative feminism that right. really never allows Bynes' character to become so convincing that it destabilizes the gender binary. Well, yeah, yeah. And it references another academic, Richard Burt's term, Shakespeareitation flicks, mm. to talk mm -hmm. about the specific teen film subgenre that right. centers female characters and reflects this conservative feminism that kind of uses Shakespeare's cultural authority to legitimate a rather repressive notion of female intelligence. Yeah. We get female liberation only to limit that freedom to the culturally and socially acceptable. Right. Which, yeah. to be quite fair to the adaptation, we've talked about this with Macbeth and with Twelfth Night, Shakespeare's plays resort to the conservative gender roles of the time. Mm -hmm. So, I right. mean, it's kind of like, well, yeah, of course, Shakespeare was not as, you know, whether or not he personally, and we won't know this, we can't even guess because we don't have anything besides these plays in his sonnets, but if he viewed things differently, he didn't write them that way on the stage mm -hmm. because he wasn't really allowed. So, right. In a way, it's kind of like we haven't gotten that much further away. Right. You know, again, this is 2006, so this is... 15? 15 years ago. Yeah. 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 In 2006, still acceptable girl power was a binary femininity. Right. You can be a tomboy. You can be outside of traditional femininity, but only to a point, And you should also be able to jump back into what was acceptable so it doesn't make mm -hmm. everyone else uncomfortable. So it fulfills that role. Another thing that I, outside of just gender as well, something that this movie really plays up more so than what was seen in the play is the individualism of Viola. This movie is, it is about gender, but I think more than anything, it's about her self-discovery and her ability to fulfill everything that she wants to fulfill on an individual level. And that was something that Shakespeare and people of his time didn't have. Mm-hmm. They didn't exist with the philosophy of, I have to have self-determination, individualization. Like right. th That wasn't in the mindset of an early modern Again, civilization. Yeah. 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 Like, I completely agree about the gender not really actually stepping outside of, like, conservative, acceptable gender. In contrast to, like, that criticism, I do think that this movie does a nice job of incorporating our modern idea of individuality and self-determination. And yes. that was something that I think that same yeah. article talked about. If we were to think about this as like, is this like we did with our other three productions that we looked at for this episode? If we were to look at this as a adaptation of Twelfth Night, is it good, bad or ugly? ugly? I would say it's in terms of comedy, it maintains the comedy mm -hmm. in terms of like truthfulness to the script. I'd put in kind of like. I don't want to say bad anymore. I want to be like, fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think fine. it was fine. Yeah. We were able to identify. We were able to see the through lines. We were able to make the connections. There's a lot of clever in-jokes. Mm-hmm. They don't shy away from it being Shakespeare like some other teen Shakespeare flicks like, do. What, did, what was it called? Shakesploitation films? Shakesploitation. Yeah. So like 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm-hmm. I'm also not convinced at this stage that Twelfth Night is even really a good Shakespeare play to use to talk about gender anyways. I mean, yes, which we've already covered. We, yeah. If anything, this does a good job of being like, this isn't about that. It's about a young woman using the disguise of a man to accomplish something. So really, this movie is much more like Merchant of Venice. I mean... It's not in the sense of, like, the plot line, but in terms of, like, the reason why Portia goes out into the world disguised as a man is for her own personal gain. So, yeah. Yeah. I would say it's a little bit more like that. And still in the world of Twelfth Night where Viola is disguising for survival, this Viola and she's the man, her survival is, you know, her ability to play soccer has to survive. Right. And so she does yeah. what she has to do to be able to play soccer. 
because she wants to go to college on a soccer scholarship. She probably wants to play professionally. Like, she wants that to be her life. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's a melding of both. Yeah. We talk about Shakespeare adapting and borrowing from theatrical traditions before his time, plays Mm -hmm. that were already in existence. It feels more like it's in that spirit and that vein. Yeah, right. And my concerns are more like the gender system, which I think is less about Shakespeare and more about the discussions about gender in 2005, 2006, when they were making this movie. So I think it's more a reflection of the culture that the movie came out of versus the original source material. I actually think they did a, a nice job of taking Shakespeare's very sexist characters and putting spins on them that makes Orsino sympathetic, that makes... Being able to look at gender and the fluidity of gender through Viola playing her brother versus a random eunuch that is made up. I think that opened up possibilities to discuss gender on a larger scale. Right. However, I think the creators of this movie fell short on moving past what was the acceptable way to have sex and gender in comedy. The heteronormativity. Correct. Yeah. 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 The cisgender heteronormativity hmm It does not move beyond that. Right. But yes, it does introduce, I guess, a concept of androgyny and equality in education and sports. And, and characters can go fluidly throughout the binary. That's where it's at in 2005, 2006. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we have to keep that in mind, even if I would have loved for there to be more engagement with homoeroticism and... What does it mean for Olivia? Like, Olivia doesn't seem bothered at all. The Twelfth Night Olivia says, oh, how wonderful when there's two, you know, Cesarios. But I think in this world, that doesn't seem to inform her exploration of sexuality in any way, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Whereas in Twelfth Night, it is a triangle that is at the forefront. This presents Olivia as more of an obstacle for the Duke Orsino Viola relationship to overcome. Right. In making that choice, we just don't get an Olivia that we can really dive too deep in because she's just not that deep in this. Right. I mean, we do also have Eunice, who's a very interesting character, but I mean, we're not taking Eunice seriously. She's presented as a joke, as kind of a unsexually desirable woman because she does not conform to the mid-2000s femininity of perfectly straight hair her intense no glasses no braces she has curly hair glasses braces like a headgear too headgear yeah Yeah. toby mentions you know when i wanted to date eunice you everybody made fun of me yeah there's things that just are from that era that are now we look back and we go that's yeah uncomfortable this world of Illyria that supposedly doesn't discriminate is still if you don't fit Fit in with the very clear parameters you are not desirable Mm -hmm. you are not equal right in this world so right you know i have no problem with eunice being funny and being used for comedy that actor did a great job very funny great she's always been one of my favorite parts i think it nails the assignment yes she does i think it's the social implications of why she's there And she does technically get some redemption in the fact that Toby does want her, but that's also Mm -hmm. misogynistic to make that her. Like, she's not cool for any reason, aside from Toby ends up being like, Eunice, I now can say that I like you. I've been given permission to find you desirable. Yeah. I will say one of my big beefs with the movie is that real Sebastian is much taller than Viola, and it makes that ability to suspend your disbelief and find it convincing that the two are confused very like i think like facially it's like close close i I could see it not as close as trevor nunn's where it's like oh yeah i could definitely Definitely. understand yeah yeah it is kind of a stretch of the imagination to believe that you'll mistake this viola and the sebastian for each other it's understandable if one of the reasons why Viola is like, oh, I can do this because Sebastian has never been there and nobody knows what Sebastian looks like. But that climax of 
a suddenly taller Sebastian arriving. Much broader, too. I mean, mm-hmm. when he's finally let into the room or whatever, he gets to Illyria and he's sleeping on his stomach with his shirt off and you can see the broad shoulders and it's like, we know that this Sebastian yeah. is slimmer. To the point of looking like a first yeah. year, looking pretty pubescent, and now here is... Like man. Yeah. Yeah. So... I have a lot of opinions about adaptations because we've excavated this play from so many angles. Mm-hmm. And when the credits are rolling, I still really enjoyed the movie. You know, like... Yeah, this is not an adaptation that, like, makes you mad at the adapters. No. And I think that's because they do a decent job of going, this is not meant to be... Twelfth Night. Shakespeare on... This is meant to be yeah. inspired by Twelfth Night. Right. And right. they make that very, very clear, which is great. It's fun. It is fun. That is that Twelfth is Twelfth Night. Night. Yeah. Yes. That's it. That's it. Thank you for listening. I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. This is Shakespeare Anyone. Thank you so much for listening to Shakespeare Anyone. Works referenced in this episode are available in the episode description. Our theme music is Never Ending Minute by Sounds Like Sander. If you would like to support us, it would help us out if you would hit the subscribe button like us, leave a comment, write a review, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, all the things. We'd appreciate it. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash Shakespeare Anyone. Patreon patrons get access to exclusive bonus content throughout the year. The link is also in the episode description. For more, you can visit our website, shakespeareanyone.com, follow us on Instagram at shakespeareanyonepod, or Twitter at shakespeareanyone. For Twitter, that's Shakespeare, any, and the number one. Every other platform is spelled out like the name of the podcast. Now, because you listened all the way to the end of the credits, here's a completely random Shakespeare quote for you. From Measure for Measure, Act 4, Scene 4, spoken by Angelo in most uneven and distracted manner.